This is session number 10 on foundations of Christian hedonism, and I'm giving arguments for the fact that it is a God-given duty of all people to pursue, not just be happy when it comes, but pursue fullest and longest pleasures, namely pleasures in God. And this argument number nine, as well as the last one coming, number 10, are the most important. Here's the argument. Since joy in God overflows, genuine joy in God, satisfaction in God, deep contentment in God, delight in God, treasuring God above all things, since joy in God overflows in love for people, which is a mammoth commandment in the Bible, since Joy in God overflows in love for people and not only overflows in, but increases in loving people. We're going to see both of these in texts. Therefore, we should, there's the duty, pursue such joy in God since love is one of the greatest commandments of God. The first and great commandment is love God. The second great commandment is love people. So, Father, this is almost as important as it gets. If Christian hedonism does not produce more love for people, let us throw it away. But if the Bible teaches that believing in Christian hedonism and thus pursuing our joy in you above all things produces more love for people, then grant us to embrace it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here are the texts. 2 Corinthians 8.1, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So he's writing to the churches in Corinth and using the Macedonians as an example and saying that the grace of God was poured out there. And what happened? In a severe test of affliction, there's one huge obstacle to joy. Their abundance of joy did what? Their abundance of joy, here's another obstacle, and their extreme poverty, so great affliction, great poverty, and in it, because of the grace of God being poured out, that abundance of joy overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And I drop down here to verse 8 just to put a name on this. I say this, Paul says, I say this not as a command but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. That's what this is. This is love. You want a description of what New Testament means by love? It is the grace of God being poured out in people's lives through the gospel and their sins being forgiven and their joy becoming so abundant that it overcomes affliction and overcomes poverty and pours out in a wealth of generosity on poor people in Jerusalem. That's Love and it comes from the overflow of joy in God. I could just stop right there, but let's keep going. Later in this book, just the chapter later, he says it this way each one must give, still on this generosity piece, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly. Okay, what's the opposite of reluctantly? Or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I'm just, (laughs) I mean, this seems so obvious to me. I want it to be obvious to you. If God 
has this remarkable special disposition towards that kind of giving, doesn't it mean that as we try to use willpower to be a generous giving person, we should supplement willpower, which is so futile. We should supplement willpower with becoming a kind of person who loves to give. That's what he delights in. It is our joy to give. So pursue joy. That's what makes God's day. Here's what Paul says about pastoring and what should motivate it. He says to the people under the leaders, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And then he he says something about the motive of these leaders. Let them do this, this keeping watch over your souls. Let them do this with joy. Work so that your pastors find joy in keeping watch over your souls, not with groaning. In other words, begrudging, dutiful, groaning pastoral work doesn't help people. Here's the argument. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that, that groaning would be of no advantage to you. It makes sick churches, sick churches. When pastors are groaning and they don't love their work, they don't have any joy in God in their work and joy and delight in loving people, they are not doing any good for the church. So here's the, here's the way to, to paraphrase it. Pastors, do you want to be of advantage to your people? If you do, that is, do you want to love them? If you do, you have no option. This is what you must pursue. Because it says, let them do this with joy, not groaning. Because if they do it with groaning and not joy, they're of no advantage. Therefore, if they do it with joy and not groaning, they're of great advantage. And that's called L-O-V-E, love. Here's the way Peter puts it. So I exhort the elders, these are those same leaders, among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God, watch over their souls, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. And he's going to bump that up as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. That means joyfully right? Pastors, love your work, love the people, delight in God. It's good for them. If you don't pursue this eagerness, you're not obeying this command and you're not blessing your people. Now, here's the most amazing text of all when it comes to motives. This is Jesus. What motivated Jesus for the greatest act of love. You can read that, I hope. Greatest act of love. What motivated him? Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. When Jesus faced the cross, he looked 
through and beyond the cross to great joy. That joy, as it were, streamed back into the present and sustained him on the cross, sustained him in the shame. If you say, I don't think we should be motivated to love people by the pursuit of joy, you need to be careful that you don't blaspheme the Son of God because you're trying to be better than he was and saying there are better motives than the one Jesus had. For the joy that was set before him, he got strength to endure the cross. For the joy that was set before him, to be surrounded by a redeemed people in the presence of his Father, enjoying the people, being enjoyed by the people, the great redemptive outcome of all of history, that joy sustained him in shame, and it will sustain us. Look, look at the uh, amazing thing Paul says to the elders in Acts 20. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember, there's the key word, remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed, more joyful to give than to receive. And I remember hearing ethicists when I was in graduate school saying, well, of course you're going to get reward when you, are, when you give, but you shouldn't seek it. You shouldn't seek this blessing. If that's true, this word is very, very stupid and bad advice. But, but Paul said, don't get this blessing out of your mind when you're faced with an opportunity of serving the weak. Keep this blessing in your mind and be motivated by it. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So if you're, if you're faced with a very difficult challenge of giving, and it's going to be costly and get you up in the middle of the night and, and be a very risky, remind yourself, remind yourself, it's blessed, it's blessed. I'm going to get greater blessing. That's why I said back at the beginning that joy not only sustains suffering, but is increased in it. Here's the last text, just a repetition of what Paul said. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Here's some examples. The one who leads, do it with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, that's love, do it with cheerfulness. Don't disobey that commandment. That commandment means... It is not a matter of indifference morally, spiritually, in heaven or on earth, whether this cheerfulness is pursued. It really matters because he says, do your acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So here's the argument. Since joy in God overflows in love for people and increases in loving people, this joy increases, it overflows and it increases. Therefore, we should pursue such joy in God since love is one of the greatest commandments of God. One more argument about the glory of God.